welcome to another episode of Arte Labore, a Blackburn Rovers podcast from the Lancashire Telegraph. A disappointing defeat for Blackburn Rovers on the south coast, losing 4-0 at Southampton against uh, at St Mary's, I should say. I'm Elliot Jackson, of course, I'm joined by Ryan Hildred to pick through the bones of the defeat. Ryan, hello. Good morning. How are you? I'm feeling better now, Elliot, but uh, as we were just discussing, um, I took a turn from the worst since the last podcast recording, so uh, Wednesday, Thursday was feeling more ropey with uh, with the cold and, and flu that I thought I had and was not feeling 100% at St Mary's on Saturday, and the proverbial saying, taking your medicine, uh, was definitely there on Saturday as I was sat right on the divide of the away fans, so I was feeling like death. Uh, listening to those fans going off all the time. Uh, I say away fans, we were the away fans. The home fans were to the left of me, I should say. So I just had to hear them chanting constantly whilst I'm feeling like death and not feeling great. And I was freezing. So um, that was not a good spending of uh, two hours when I wasn't feeling 100%, but thankfully feeling much, much better now and through the other side of it. At least the result went in Blackburn's favour. Um, yes, let's we'll we'll go with this alternative reality. Let's let's go with that. What a fantastic nine nil win for Blackburn Rovers to uh, <laughs> to make everyone feel better about the sixteen, seventeen, eighteen hour days that they did to go and travel to that. Um, yeah, I've, I've been a bit under the weather towards the back end of the week as well. So sixteen hour journey door to door was fun, um, especially when you've lost four nil, but. I had a lovely train uh, train journey home um, from Southampton. It was the train going through to Manchester. Um, so obviously it was filled with Blackburn Rovers fans. So I was having a good chat with them for a few hours. Um, and it, it was good fun. And it was good to gauge the fan opinion and, and have a real good chat with some of the supporters who I know some of them will be listening to this podcast, um, unless they lied to me, in which case that's not very kind. But I don't think they did because um, they brought it up. So, yeah, that was good fun. Um, it was certainly a very loud train. It wasn't the easiest to get Jon's quotes out uh, with uh, straight back down Vincent Company ringing around for most of the carriage <laughs> for the first sort of 90 minutes of that train journey. Uh, but, yeah, it was really good fun um, and did make the journey pass a little bit better. So for those Rovers fans that are listening that I might have spoken to, Thank you for coming and saying hello, and uh, it was good to chat to you. But let's talk about events on the pitch, because unfortunately we have to. That's kind of the idea of the podcast. It wasn't ideal, I think it's fair to say. Um, they, just, they just never really got going, did they, Rovers? They, they never really laid a glove on Southampton. I thought they were... I thought... I've said this on, obviously, my championship podcast. I thought Southampton were the best team... I've seen that have nullified Rovers. I think there's been better teams play against Blackburn this season, but that is the most one-sided affair I've seen um, Blackburn playing this season. I think they nullified Rovers' threat really well. I feel like they pressed excellently in the first half, particularly in, in, in that um, in that in the Rovers half. And I think you do have to give credit to the opposition as well for the for the way they played. Southampton are a very good team. I would summarise with it was probably the best time for um, Southampton to play Blackburn Rovers and probably the worst time for Blackburn Rovers to play Southampton, who are now 14 games unbeaten, averaging just shy of two points per game, which would normally have you in the top two, never mind fourth. And you look at the, the quality they, they brought on off the bench as well at times compared to what Rovers have got. 
So, you know, my big verdict on on the Telegraph in the Telegraph today and, and uh, online yesterday was mistakes and mitigation are probably the the two words for me that summed up this game. But going into the goals in a little bit more detail, um, having sort of weathered the storm a little bit in the first half, um, you know, Southampton, I thought first 20 minutes really came at Rovers. The Rovers had the opportunity, didn't they, with the Smodic's free kick, which Bazunu fumbles and Britain can't quite force it in. But it was very much Rovers trying to defend on the back foot, particularly down Rovers' right. They struggled. The dozy was causing a lot of issues for Britain and James Hill with Kyle Walker-Peters as well down that side. And the when you've managed to defend the open play so well, it's really disappointing in the manner of the first goal. Corner comes in. I think Walstead's got to do better, personally. I think Adam Walton's probably got to do a little bit better. It's probably a bit too easy for Adozi to get in front of him. But I thought I thought Walstead had a really good game overall. He pulled off some fantastic saves, particularly in the second half. There was one from Stuart Armstrong at 1-0, which was a curler into the top corner. He did really well to save. Even the save from Smallbone, which Alcaraz then volleys it, well, lashes him from close range for the fourth. It's a really good save. So he made a lot of good shot-stopping saves, which is, you know, shot-stopping has never been an issue since he's come in. We've, we've all been happy with that. But having seen him taken a few strides forward, particularly in the week, we thought it was his best performance, certainly in terms of dominating his area. It's not a howler, but I like to think in 12 months' time, Leopold Wellstead comes and takes out Adam Walton, takes out Adozi and punches it away and gets, gets something on it. For it to come at that sort of height and trajectory, and get to all get to the six yard box and get kneed in by someone who's about five foot seven. It's just not a great great optics for me, and I, I think you've got to say anything in the six yard box has to be keeper's ball, in my opinion. Maybe that's a bit old fashioned, but I just think that in twelve months' time, I think it, that goal doesn't go in, and I think the goalkeeper deals with it. Yeah, I'll, I'll start with a goal and then I'll just give my general reflection on the first half in the game. So, yeah, to to have defended out that half and seemingly getting to half time at nil nil, which for the record would have flattered Rovers. You know, let's just <laughs> be clear about that. That would have been a flattery of uh, of epic proportion, uh, proportions to be nil nil at half time, but possibly part of the game plan as well. Um, yeah, it's disappointing to concede the goal in that manner. And I'm like you. Um, I want to see that traditional goalkeeping in that sense. I think anything dropping into that area in the six-yard box has to be keeper's ball. And I think it will come. Um, I think as he learns the rough and tumble of the English Football League, as he learns the rough and tumble of the Championship, that you're going to come up against physical specimens, you're going to come up against sides that like to crowd the goalkeeper and, and get in your way, I think that will come. Could Scott Wharton have done better to give him some protection? I don't know. I've looked at some of the replays. Adam Wharton in front of him. Uh, Adam, uh, Adam Wharton. Could he have done better? Maybe. Um, could he have protect him, uh, protected him so. a little bit? I don't know. Um, but it is still a smart finish from Adozi. He's still got to get in front. He's still got to use his body weight. But for the goal to go in in that way, you know, when you talk about the style of Southampton, when you talk about the way that they were battering us in that first half, uh, for it to go in like that was really disappointing. And um, if I just, you know, come on to the approach with the game and, and how it's ultimately panned out, I think your assessment of things is is entirely correct. And I think this game, unfortunately, represented a perfect storm of, of three things combining. Uh, the first was obviously the very tired Rovers squad. So 
those things that we might have done to freshen it up and maybe go at Southampton a little bit on a different day with a bigger squad, I think we would have made some changes coming into this game to to maybe go at them and, and see some of that swagger and, and some of that style that we've seen away from home. But ultimately, I think Jon's hands were tied, so he's had to go with the same 11 and, and obviously a very tired performance in that sense. The second is we're coming up against a side that are 14 games unbeaten, have just been relegated from the Premier League uh, and are obviously very strong at home as well. So that absolutely dictates uh, dictates things in the Championship. They are unbeaten for that many games for a reason. So clearly it's going to be a tough day at the office. And then thirdly, um, the things that I've picked up from Russell Martin in his post-match interview, he clearly had a game plan to nullify Rovers and that playing out from the back and and stopping us being dangerous. And you and I last week, Elliot, were reflecting on stylistically, we thought that this was the best chance to beat one of the top four. Actually, I think what we've seen is stylistically, it's also the easiest way to beat Rovers, isn't it? Because Russell Martin knows the way that JDT wants to play because there's probably lots of similarities between the way that Russell Martin plays and the way that JDT plays. So I think stylistically, there's been a bit of a, a matchup there and, and obviously men against boys in, in many respects. So um, whether it would have been the game plan on a different day, I don't know. Whether we actively sat in to to do what we did away at Stoke again, we we pondered on that last week, didn't we? Were, were we going to go down there and, and keep it tight and, and maybe try and nick the goal? I've got a feeling that's what we were trying to do in the first half. I think it was a case of get to half time, then let's see if we can change it up. But the worst thing to do when you know you've got that as your game plan is concede right on half time because then everything goes out of the out of the window, doesn't it? Yeah, I found it really interesting tactically, and I did ask you on after the match about playing without a striker, what the sort of tactical idea was, what what he was trying to do with the game plan. And I thought it was really interesting how, obviously, Rovers went without an auxiliary striker, played Smodix furthest forward as a false nine. The idea to sort of play almost like a box with Wharton and Tronstad as a two and, and Moran and uh, Smodix almost as two number tens and, and try and hurt them that way to get out. Rovers obviously tried to play out. They did get through a few times. There was a couple of times where they played into Tronstad, played into Wharton and they got out, but the, the pass the next pass wasn't good enough. They didn't retain possession and that allowed Southampton to sustain their attacks and almost like box, they basically just boxed them in, in open play because Rovers either couldn't get out or when they did get out, they weren't good enough in possession to then make the next pass and, and, and get through into that attacking third. There was a couple of instances they did it. They earned the free kick, which which earned the chance, um, which Smodix forced to save from Bazunu, as we've spoken about. I think it also underlined that Rovers just don't have a lot of pace in this squad. They probably don't have that one player who who can play. You know, Sigurdsson has got a... I think they've got a lot of players who've got like a turn of pace for about six yards, but nothing beyond that. You know, Smodix isn't slow. He, he can go past one player, but he's not going to get you up the pitch in terms of 30, 40 yards. Sigurdsson the same, uh, Moran the same. They can go around a player. They've got a little burst of, of acceleration, but they've not got that sprint speed. That's probably the best way to say it. And I think when you're playing on the counter-attack against a team that are so, were so good in terms of either pressing and winning that first ball or making sure the second ball didn't go into dangerous areas and then, and then just circulate the ball and keep attacking, um, you've got to have that real pace to get you up the pitch because it's so hard to play through. I also thought it was very interesting the fact that Southampton went without a striker as well. Adam Armstrong played on the right wing, which they have done before at times. They played Sulemana and Armstrong out wide with Carlos Alcaraz down the middle for a spell in October. But generally speaking, Armstrong's gone back down the middle. So 
for him to be played out out wide was interesting by Martin. And they sort of had a rotating cast of Joel Aribo, Stuart Armstrong and Will Smallbone, who all kept running in as that uh, false nine. So it was interesting because for Hayden Carter and Scott Wharton, they didn't have anyone to mark for most of the time. And it wasn't even as if they could go and mark the one player who was the false nine, like Smodix was, for example. Southampton didn't have any. They basically had like three false eights. They basically had three players in a line and they would take it in turns to make those darts in behind, whether it was Armstrong, whether it was Arebo, whether it was Smallbone. Um, I thought Stuart Armstrong was excellent for them. I thought he was the, the their best player, got man of the match. I thought Dozy was really bright as well. And the reason I'm saying all this, because again, as, as poor as Rovers were, I thought Southampton were really good. I do think that that is the best that any team has nullified. That If any team wants a game plan of how to play against Blackburn Rovers, particularly Blackburn Rovers not at the best on the ball, end of a free game week with the injuries, that is how you nullify them because that is the best any team has done it probably this calendar year, certainly this season. Um, and then again, when you factor in the injuries, the, the schedule, they just ran out of steam. Like we spoke about Andrew Moran in the week. He shouldn't have started on, on Saturday. He's just, he needs a break. Um, I thought he was slightly better at Southampton than against Bristol City, but he, he needs a break. He needs to come out for a little bit. That's fine. But Rovers just haven't got the options to do that. In terms of the second half, obviously it was pretty much the same way, one-way traffic. But at 1-0, you are always in the game until you go down to 10 men. It, it, I don't want to you know, pile on Callum Britton because quite obviously he knows it was a foolish decision. It was, you know, it was stupid. It was a moment of madness and it wasn't subtle life. <laughs> he absolutely levers the ball miles away. So it's, just, it's a yellow card. It is a second yellow. It's a red card. All I would say, and this doesn't change what happened to Britain because Britain is a second yellow, those are the rules, sent off, fine. There were instances in the first half where Southampton players, less less obviously, kicked the ball away and didn't get yellow cards. So the frustration for me is the inconsistency in applying this rule. Now, that's not to, again, this is not saying Callum Britton shouldn't have been sent off because those are the rules and he's absolutely belted the ball away. It's a second yellow, you're off. That's That's just a bad decision from him and it left, Blackburn without a you know without a, a paddle um, to get themselves upstream, but there is an inconsistency because at the start of the season we were seeing loads of time added on, we were seeing loads of yellow cards for even like little kicks away, and now it seems well if you you just nudge the ball away then you're not going to get booked and and we'll add five minutes on but we're not going to add seven or eight anymore and um, unless you do something really obvious like Callum did then we won't book you and. I don't know, that frustrates me. But either way, it doesn't change what Callum did and, and the fact it was a second yellow. Rovers, Rovers had very little chance of getting something out of the game, in my opinion, at 1-0 anyway. But they still had a chance. And once Callum gets sent off, they, they no longer have that. Yeah, I'll come on to that in a moment. <clears throat> Excuse me and my views on it. But I just want to go back to the first thing that you raised on that bit, which is, yes, we have to give credit to Southampton because as much as, yes, we were tired and as much as, yes, you can criticise the Rovers game plan, I do think Southampton tactically were excellent. And I thought that was a really smart move to put Adam Armstrong out on the right, actually, because it just deflects all the attention, doesn't it? Because then you're instantly thinking about Adam Armstrong on the right and not concentrating on the things I'm that are going on in the middle. I'm going as well because he was basically just playing yeah. on the shoulder, but out wide. He wasn't interested in building. That's up. it. Just, just literally yeah, on the shoulder that's of the it. runner. Although what I will say about Pickering, I thought he did a decent I job. I thought he did a really good job, but it, just, it, just, it yeah. just made his mind up for it. He couldn't do anything else other than watch him. 
Yeah, and one thing I did notice, I don't know if you spotted this as well, there was one moment where Scott Wharton was man-marking Adam Armstrong for about five or ten minutes I, I and then seemingly went, stopped. I did know they went to a back five very briefly and I actually thought they looked mm. better in it. So James Hill went yeah. right centre-back, Hayden in the middle, and Scott was playing left centre-back. And it meant Harry, as a wing-back rather than a full-back in a four, could press yeah. the ball a little bit higher. And the same with Britain, obviously, was the other wing-back. I actually thought they looked better on that, but then they only did it for five, ten minutes and then went back to a back four in Britain higher. Um, so, yeah, they've obviously, when they play Hill as a right-back and Britain as a right-winger, they, they have the option. They can go to a five. And obviously, that slightly yeah. moves Scott to, as to the left centre-back. Um, so, potentially, there's more spaces between your centre-backs, but it, it means you can press the ball probably a little bit better and suddenly Pickering could get out to the to, to mm. the fullback a little bit better. I only noticed it because I was like, where is Scott Walton going? And then I was like, oh, that's because Adam Armstrong's one of the deepest lying players at the moment. He was on the halfway line. And mm. yeah, it was just a strange five or 10 minutes. But yeah, second half, you know, I said, what are the things that you don't do if you've got a game plan of keeping it tight and getting nil-nil at halftime is, is concede on halftime. What's the second thing you don't do when you've got Jake Garrett uh, and Harry Leonard on the sidelines, ready to come on. You don't do what Callum Britton did. And as much as I don't want to go in all in on Callum Britton here, because he's been great this season, a young lad, and I'm sure he's learned his lesson. I will just track back to one thing that happened against Bristol City. And he absolutely levered the ball away against Bristol City as well. He did the same really? thing. I don't remember that. He belted. Yeah, you have a look at the, you have a look. He belted the ball against the Hordings and he got a book in against Bristol City as well. So just that little show of anger, you know, mm. just that little thing. That's that's something for him to work on. So he did it in, in the week against Bristol City and he's done it here. And... That was terminal damage from that point, wasn't it? Um, you know, with the two subs who we were planning on bringing on at 1-0 at championship level, who knows, you know, we're still in the game at that point. Going down to 10 men with the way that that game was going up until that point, that was a tough ask uh, from there. You know, we had to concede a lot of territory. We had to concede a lot of possession. And really, we were then picking up the scraps of, of anything that we could get in behind and, and anything like that. So... It was an act of stupidity from Callum Britton. Uh, he will learn the lesson, as I say. Jan says that he's apologised. You know, let's just leave it at that. Um, you know, he's now going to be suspended for the next game. Hopefully he can come back and, and freshened up ready for that Boxing Day game against Huddersfield. But yeah, it was that feeling of deflation at that point when that red card is, is brandished. Um, in terms of, you know, the consistency from officials, yeah, I'm with you on that as well, uh, as well, Elliot, because I'm happy to punish these things because, again, you know, if they're trying to build, you know, respect for referees and, you know, we've seen some god-awful things in Turkey going on and, and all of those things, I absolutely get the, the premise of it, but you're right, it needs to be applied in a consistent manner, so it just becomes one of those things that players don't do anymore. So disappointing that other I things across like the game haven't been. Do. I, do, I do think because we, for mm. example, the red card at Rotherham with Onya Dimba, which was a bit of a farce, particularly the first yellow card where he got pushed into the crowd and then got sent off. He ended up getting sent off, but he got sent off because he did the card thing, and people see that and yes. stop doing it, whether they think it's right or wrong. Um, and it'll be the same with kicking the ball away. <laughs> And it's one of them where it's always when players are on yellow cards, referees are absolutely desperate to brandish the next one. Like, I've got no doubt that if he's not on a yellow card, he might have cut him a little bit of slack there. But I don't know. It, it was a frustrating one. But yeah, let's make no mistake. It was a second yellow card yeah. offence. It was an act of stupidity from Callum Britton. And it completely changed the game. Well, 
the game was already a tough one from that point. It then completely changed the game another level because A, we weren't able to make those two substitutions and B, all that concession of territory and possession, even more so at that point, made it a really tough ask for Rovers. And you're asking a lot of an already tired squad to then play with 10 men against a Southampton side that are clearly on it for the day. You know, it was a, t- a tough assignment from there. Yeah, absolutely. And they wrapped the game up shortly after that. Um, Bull into the channel, runner not tracked, um, comes inside. Um, Carter gets taken out of it and then Stuart Armstrong with a really nice finish. I thought Armstrong was excellent, as I've said. Walstead, nothing he could do about that one. And then the game just sort of died, really, didn't it, for 20 minutes. They made changes, took off the key players, rotated the squad. Rovers were quite happy to not get beaten up, basically. I thought they just tried to conserve energy, not get beaten up. And I don't blame them either. And then, obviously, the, they did end up getting beaten up because the goal third and fourth went in. Before that, there was the penalty. Um, I thought it was a definite penalty. Carter just kicks the back of his leg after he's in behind. He, he seemed pretty incensed by it, but I don't, I don't understand why, really, because he did just kick the back of his leg. So it was a penalty, in my view. If you're going to penenka it, you've probably got to score. Yeah. And... I love the reaction of James Hill. I, yeah. I wish there's more footage of what James Hill did to Alcaraz because that was disrespectful. Look, I can take us getting beaten by Southampton and in many respects it was men against boys. But that's just like, for me, that was just an act of disrespect at that point. And yeah, just ridiculous. And he got his just desserts on that. So I had no sympathy and it was probably one of the, one of the few moments of joy in the way and shall we say just being able to cheer a penalty miss um I don't know how much so much it got. on it really well the only one i've seen similar was when um was it peter crouch who did it against jamaica or something i can't remember he penenkered one over the bar or did something mm, weird sure. the other famous one is zidane who obviously tried to miss his penalty in that world cup final that was a high penenka as well mm. Yes, it happens to the best of them, Peter Crouch and, and Zinedine Zidane. Yeah, and uh, Carlos Alcaraz, the true, the, the real pillars, <laughs> the real pillars of, of the game that we loved. If there was a, a, a Mount Rushmore, that would be the three faces at the, the front. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I thought that was a penalty. And again, as I say, Rovers have got trying to conserve energy, trying to keep it at 2-0 because the you know goal difference <laughs> we know goal difference can matter um, after last season, but Third and the fourth go in. The third one, um, Port Scott Walton loses his man at the back post. It's it's a great cross from Fraser who gets around James Hill. I say I thought I thought Southampton's left was the real problem all game. He Dozy and, and Walker Peters on that side, and then Ryan Fraser comes on, who's a you know played hundreds of games in the Premier League. Good cross to the back post. Walton um, switches off. I thought Scott Walton was probably Rovers' best defender on the day. To be fair, certainly in terms of distribution. A lot of um, the time when they were getting pressed in, he, he played some great switches out to James Hill on the right and just flipped the play. But yeah, he, he fell asleep at the end. Tired, tired minds, tired legs. Um, and that was 3-0. And then a couple of minutes later, just as uh, I think I'm done and sending my match report through, um, the fourth one as well. Just don't close the ball down quick enough. Smallbone gets the shot off. It's good save from Wellstead. Um, and Alcaraz just happens to be onside and following it up quickest to, to smash into the back of the net for 4-0. So I don't think 4-0 flattered Southampton, to be honest. If I'm if I'm being truthful, I don't think we can say that it was an unjust scoreline, but disappointing they didn't get through those last couple of minutes and keep it at 2-0 and just get back on the bus. 
Yeah, that's it. Because two nil would have been, you know, to get out of there with a two nil defeat, playing most of the second half with ten men would have been a good result in in hindsight. And actually, at two nil, we did have a couple of flashes and a couple of moments. I think Harry Leonard got in behind, I think, a couple of times, and and Jake Garrett as well. So you know, we were looking a little bit threatening in behind, and you're just thinking, oh, maybe if we could just sniff a chance out, if we get it to two one, could we make them nervy a bit? So to concede the two goals in the way that we did it. It's kind of rovers that we've seen of old, really, like through the years. Again, I've been at quite a few away games where I sat there thinking, oh, it'd be nice just to get out of here one or two nil. And then we end up losing the game three or four nil. So it's a bit of a, a blast from the past. And, and we've not seen it too much under JDT, I would no, say. No, joint, joint biggest defeat that with the Rotherham game as well, that they lost four nil, of course, right at the start of the year. Um, that, the yeah. Biggest, joint biggest defeat, so- four nil. So disappointing in that sense. But yeah, if you break down the game in terms of total domination from Southampton, the possession and, and everything that they've done, the missed penalty, you could say that 4-0 is, is a scoreline that they ultimately deserved. And the third goal, yeah, it's it's poor defending. You know, James Hill, tired James Hill, it's too easy for Fraser to get round him. And then, as you say, a lapse in concentration from Scott Wharton. These are things that you expect from... From the squad at the moment with with how tired they are and and then the fourth goal I, I just feel sorry for Leo Walshtep because you know before we wrap up this Southampton game let's just single out Leo Walshtep you know what a display of of shot stopping prowess yeah. that that he showed I think there were three saves in particular where he's tipped them round the post and over the bar where he's really showed his worth in that sense. So he is clearly a fantastic shot stopper. He is getting better by the game, you know, with that domination of his box and and looking that assured pair of hands, albeit with reflected on the corner. So it was good for him maybe to to have a bit of target practice and and to to show his worth to the fans in that sense. And he didn't deserve a 4-0 scoreline the other side of him. Um, but the fourth goal, you know, the reason I just mentioned that is, you know, I thought it was a good save from Walsh there and he just needs a bit more protection from lads following it in. And it just had to be Alcaraz, didn't it, to, to bang that in after missing the penalty. And I did see his celebration to the away fans where he's apologising and I think he did a pray symbol or, or something along those lines. So it would have been nice for Alcaraz not to have scored that goal. So, yeah, 4-0 looks bad on paper. It was bad in the stadium. As I say, I had to sit there and, and listen to those Southampton fans all game singing, all game chanting, making my headache worse. I was freezing. I had to tell the boys that it's not always QPR away. And good good away. grounding for them, isn't it? It's not, all, not always Very QPR. Good That's it. It's not always QPR and Stoke. So, as I say, it was medicine in every sense of the word. Um, And, yeah, we were just thoroughly outcompeted. And, yes, um, I don't plan on returning to Southampton anytime soon. I've done my ground tick now. So, unless it's a game that means something in the future, Elliot, it is a long day for all you Rovers fans. If you've not done it before, certainly uh, get a whole weekend planned out to rest, recuperate and recover because it was a long-ass day, wasn't it? It was. I did get to scratch it off my map, which I appreciate people listening to a podcast won't be able to see. But oh no, yes, to scratch it off my map, which was nice. I enjoyed doing that. That was probably the best bit of the day. Um, in terms of what's coming up, of course, Watford at home next. The fans take over. Um, so if you're not aware, um, reduced tickets: eleven pounds for an adult. One pound of that goes to the community trust. So a tenner really. Uh, Two pounds for kids. Over three thousand pounds has been raised by. BRFCS and 4,000 Holes. Um, they've done some great fundraising 
ahead of the game. There's going to be a big feature about the day, why the club are doing it, why the people involved, Rovers Chat, BRFCS, uh, the Supporters Trust, we are the Rovers, and the Community Trust, why they've all teamed up to to make this happen. And um, there'll be a big feature in Thursday's Lancashire Telegraph and online. So if you're not aware of sort of the the backstory behind it, go and check that out. But Hopefully, we'll see an improved attendance. Fair play to Watford. They bought into it as well because obviously they get the reduced tickets as well. But the club have also put on £10 um, travel for their away fans. So that's pretty good for them as well. And they come to Rovers in a bit of form. Um, they thrashed Preston North End 5-1. It was really funny. So obviously, I am uh, I was aware of some of the scores as the game's progressing. But from like the 40th minute onwards, I didn't really check them. So it wasn't until they started reading, they put them on the big screen, obviously, at the end of the game, started reading the scores out. And Preston were winning 1-0 when I last looked and they lost 5-1. I'm like, what's going on there? Um, so yeah, from their last 11 games, Watford, they've took 21 points, which is nearly two points per game, which is pretty much automatic promotion form in the uh, in the last two months. So they're a team in really good form. And they're another team in the pack, as I am now dubbing it, which is basically anyone from 15th to 5th, because none of them are any better than each other. They're all a big muddled mess. Blackburn are part of that. And each team will have fluctuating form where some look better than the others. Um, but ultimately, it's games from the pack that are going to define each of their seasons. So it's a big game for Rovers because Watford are definitely one of those teams that have shown they're capable of getting fifth or sixth. Um, and it's going to be a big game. Hopefully we'll get 20,000 in Ewood with the reduced tickets and with all the offerings that are on uh, with the fans' takeover. So, yeah, it's, it's a really important game. Yeah. The reason the Bristol City game was so important for me, Elliot, is because I think it's very easy for Rovers fans to look at the likes of Watford at home and Huddersfield away and think that they're going to be games that Rovers are going to win. But actually, I wasn't viewing it like that. We needed that win against Bristol City because, you know, Leeds at home, we've already reflected on difficult game. I wasn't expecting anything against Southampton, even though we positively predicted a draw last week because we're just blinded Rovers fans. But, you know, we haven't got anything there. Watford at home, as you say, they're in form. That's a tougher game on paper than than what people might make out. Huddersfield is a ground that we've always struggled on, and then Hull away will be tough, and and they're playing well this season. So another member you're absolutely, of the pack. Uh, another member of the pack, yeah. So you know, Watford will be a tough game, and I just hope and pray that we can do something in front of that bumper crowd. And and we know how these things can go sometimes that you get the crowds in and and you don't win the game, but. I just want to single out the what the fans have done here. You know, BRFCS, you know, brilliant. Because, you know, I'm not from Blackburn, as, as people know. And, and I never had a dad to take me to the football or, or anything like that. So I didn't go to my first Rovers game until I was 14. And I always remember that feeling of going into Ewood Park for the first time. You know, that magical moment that I can still just feel it now. It was 2-0 against Southampton in that first season. We were promoted back into the Premier League. And... That's a memory that will live with me forever. You know, I went with my grandparents and if any of these kids and these people, these less fortunate people are going to get that moment on the 23rd of December, win, lose or draw, you know, just well done to BRFCS and well done to the club for for supporting this initiative because it'll be fantastic. And it's been a tough few years for everyone with the pandemic and the cost of living and, and everything like that. So I just think it's fantastic what they've done. But yeah, you know, getting back onto the, the football pitch, We've reflected on the tired squad. I suspect that your 
uh, press conference that you do with JDT is going to be rinse and repeat of everything that he's previously told you. No one coming into the squad. Possibly, well, Callum Britton's not going to be there, so that's one less body now. So he's going to have to shuffle the very few deck chairs that he's got, hasn't he, to, to try and freshen this squad up. I do think he should get Jake Garrett into the team now. Um, I think Tronstad and Wharton looked tired uh, on Saturday. And whenever I've seen Jake Garrett, he's brought energy. So why not bring someone like Jake Garrett into the squad to just give us a bit of zest and a bit of zip? I wouldn't even be against putting Jake Garrett in Andy Moran's position because he's got that zest and that energy. And actually away at Stoke, he proved that actually he's got a bit of attacking nous and attacking prowess. So put someone like Jake Garrett in there just to give us something. So I hope he can do something to freshen it up because I think that's where Watford will outcompete us because they are still feeling the parachute payments. They still have a relatively large squad as well. And actually early on this season, we caught them at a really good time because they were still getting used to Ishmael. I've got no doubt now, you know, with the stats that, that you've just relayed there, his methods, what he brings to football clubs, what we saw at Barnsley in particular, that's all coming to the fore now. Similar to what's happened with us, with JDT, you know, the methods and the way that we want to play that's now there for Watford. So it'll be a tough, tough game and not one that I'm just automatically expecting that because it's fans takeover, because it's Rovers at home, because Watford, quote unquote, are in the pack and not really doing much this season. I'm not sat here thinking that we're automatically going to win. And actually, as we've reflected on the pod, the home form's a bit patchy this season. It's not been the greatest. So yeah, tough game for us, Elliot. They won't have Ryan Hedges to do two kick-ups and smash one into the back of the net. Either. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. You know, he, he is a miss. He is absolutely a miss, and I would love to have Hedges in this team at the moment. I think that's what we're crying out for, just someone off the bench or starting in games that brings what Ryan Hedges does to the party. You know, I think we've really missed him recently. It'll be interesting to see what he does with the team. Obviously, Callum Britton will come out. I think I think Niall Ennis comes in, maybe up front. Um, Smodics can then drop back yeah. deeper and Moran on the right. Maybe you put, but but I agree. I think Garrett is knocking on the door, and I think he, he's not started a championship game this year. And every time he's come on, he's made an impact recently. He's done well in the cup competitions. I think you have to get him in. Where you get him in, I don't know. I prob- again, it's this right wing position. He pro- Garrett is probably more worthy of the start than Moran, but I don't know if that tactically works. He, could you play Jake on the right? Um, and mm-hmm. have Smodix sort of as the 10 and Sigurdsson on the left and just have them interchanging a little bit? Or is that going to be a bit bit stagnant because you can have James Hill at right back and then Garrett, who's not a winger on the right, that just doesn't probably sound quite right in terms of the tactical element. But if you're talking no. about like the 11 players you'd want to get on the pitch, I'd probably want to get Garrett on the pitch and take Moran out for a breather, get Ennis in for Britain. But I don't know how you tactically get those players all together to make it work, really. No, and we've got Britain back for Boxing Day, and obviously that's going to be a game within three days of, of the previous. So JDT's got to pay, you know play a bit of the long game here because what's that? That's three games in. I need to do the rough maths here. Three games in six days, isn't it, when you mm. count Hull in that? That's a lot for this squad to carry. So um, I, I would honestly give Garrett a go in that Andy Moran position. I know that sounds daft, but I just saw him picking Play up Garrett on the right. Space with and... Garrett on the right, yeah. I, I do Garrett on the right. Um, but what does that say to Lewis Travis? If if Travis if Garrett's ahead of Travis, say to then Mark what Conde, does that say about probably him? the bigger question. Yeah, exactly. But I just it's it's the energy, Elliot. That's what I'm getting at. So I know that tactically it doesn't make sense, but 
I think the squad is just crying out for some energy. And I think that's agree. what Jake Garrett brings. Um, so, yeah, let's let's think this through. So, Britain will be back for, for Boxing Day. You know, he will be back. You know, yeah. JDT absolutely loves him. Ennis, um, I can see your point about Ennis because I, I Ennis. the other three week, yeah, didn't play at Southampton. Even if it's an hour, I'd start him up front. Let's move Smodix back, and then it's Morin or Marconde or Garrett or whatever you want to do on that right hand side. Yeah, yeah. So maybe Garrett is a bit too nonsensical in that sense. I do agree. Um, I, I agree. He should be. He deserves to be to play, but you, you, it's not a case of picking the eleven players that want to play. Mm. How, how you sandwich them in? I, it's a bit clunky. Maybe Garrett <laughs> is one for because with a week, in theory, with a week's rest, we shouldn't be having this conversation. Mm. You know, these are all fit professional athletes in yeah. their early twenties. Actually, a week's rest, we should, in theory, be able to play the same eleven as much well, as I with a moment tired. Really well. and all that. I, I think Garrett deserves to yeah. be in the team. Um, it's, I think if Callum maybe it's the was the right game. back, if Callum Brown was the right back rather than James Hill in this scenario, I'd be better. I'd be more comfortable playing Garrett on the side to the right. But because it's James Hill who's not a fullback, I just think that yeah. looks a bit clunky. Yeah. But I don't know. No, I agree. But somehow, I, do I think, agree. I, I do think I'd get Garrett in the team somewhere. So it's one. We've got one force change, haven't we? So um, the Britain, thing that I never like. Uh, for Britain, yeah. Change, yeah. Yeah, he's the force change. So the thing that I've never liked is, you know, the false nine and, and the lack of central striking presence. Yeah. And I actually thought that Harry Leonard on Saturday brought something to the Rovers forward line when he came on because we had those runs in behind. So mm -hmm. if we operate from a principle of he's going to start a striker over Callum Britton, yeah. you're then forced into, okay, is it Garrett for Andy Moran and tactically does that look stupid? Mm. Or is it Garrett for one of Tronstad and Wharton? Yeah. And actually, in a week when they've had no game and actually it's seven days to prep and get ready, actually bringing Garrett in for one of those two probably doesn't make sense. So is it Garrett for Andy Moran? That probably doesn't make sense when they've had a week to come up. So I think I've talked myself out of Garrett, but yeah. not for the Huddersfield game. Yeah, I agree. The yeah. Huddersfield game... I would get him in for Huddersfield to freshen it up and bring that energy in at that point. That's when I'd be bringing Garrett in. I, I think. think Garrett deserves to come in, but I don't think it makes sense, particularly with Hill as the right back. So I think he stays on the bench no. and maybe it's just Ennis for Britain. Ennis for Britain or Ennis Leonard for, for or Britain. Leonard. I think I'd go with Ennis. I think I think, I think think Leonard's looked tired when he's what I saw from... Oh, he did all right on Saturday, but again, it's they're already 1-0 down. They're already down to 10 men. I thought he wasn't great against Sheffield Wednesday. I thought he didn't do great against Bristol City. I thought Ennis, I think Ennis, we need to give him some, he needs some momentum. He needs to get another start, I think, to get him. One thing game. I'd like to see Ennis do, if Ennis is the one to start, is do the role that Andy Moran's doing. We saw it again a few times on Saturday. That ball being fired into Moran with his back to goal, albeit on the halfway line or in our own half, I think Raskin Moran to do something there that he's not too comfortable with. And we lost possession a few times when he was being asked to do that. And we reflected on the Bristol City goal as well, where it came from a ball being fired into him. I think Ennis is much better at doing that. So if we want a ball to play in, have Ennis as the one who's got his back to goal and to link the play in that sense. So I'd be starting Ennis for those reasons. If we want to play in behind and run the channels, then it's Harry Leonard for me. Mm, interesting. Well, we're going to reflect on... We'll reflect. Uh, we'll preview the Huddersfield game as well on Boxing Day because we're going to do a pod um, after Huddersfield on Boxing Day, and we're going to do a pod after Rotherham on New Year's Day. So we'll have a couple of games to wrap up in both of 
pod, the upcoming pods over the festive period. So Huddersfield away, another team that are struggling under Darren Moore at the moment. They've only won once since he came in. Obviously, everyone remembers Easter Monday last year where Rovers had about 94 XG and somehow just about scraped a two-all draw, but that was Neil Warnock. Playing Huddersfield at a decent time, obviously hoping that they don't go and batter whoever they're playing on Saturday. Um, but it's a decent time to play Huddersfield. They've got some injuries as well. Got to, got to win. I think if they can beat Watford, I think it will give them a lot of confidence to go to Huddersfield, Hull and Rotherham. Huddersfield and Rotherham, obviously very similar in terms of trying to stay up Hull and Watford, both part of the pack. So it's a nice mix. You've got a couple of games against playoff teams and you've got a couple of teams against teams at the bottom of the league that in theory you should be beating, but it doesn't always work like that, of course. No, it doesn't. And Huddersfield have, have found us out uh, a few times over the years. And I've been there when they've done that as well. Um, out of the two games that we're previewing here, Watford and Huddersfield, Huddersfield is the one that I'd be more hopeful uh, of getting a win, yeah. actually. Um, just because I think of our away style. And I just ultimately think, yes, we've reflected on Southampton and how good they were, etc. I do think there was an element in particularly in that first half that the game plan for Rovers was to get to nil-nil, uh, get to half time at nil-nil. And I don't think that's been the natural way this season. I think invariably we've been quite positive away from home. We've gone for teams. We've tried to hit teams on the, the counter, the transition, the press and all of those things. And I think for whatever reason, we were forced into something completely different on Saturday and found out the hard way. I can't see us playing like that on Boxing Day. I think it will be that energetic type of performance that JDT uh, will want. And we, I think we'll see that away at Huddersfield. I think we'll go for that quick early start and, and try and hit Huddersfield in that way. Whether it leads to the positive result is the other thing because we've come unstuck at Huddersfield over the years. And, you know, it's again, it will come down to that first goal. If Huddersfield nicked that first goal, you know, what's our chances of coming from behind, et cetera, et cetera. But... I think if he can get the right energy back into the squad, as we were just reflecting on there, so the likes of Travis, the likes of Garrett, uh, Callum Britton coming back uh, from that suspension, those three people in particular, and then uh, one of Ennis and Leonard, actually, you've got four players there, haven't you, where you can freshen it up and stop the theme of what we've been talking about over these last couple of pods, the tiredness in the squad. He's got a real opportunity to freshen it up really intelligently. So... um, I'm hoping we can still see that type of performance. It's going to be a tough ask for for some of them. You know, I have this blind fear all the time that the likes of Sam Smodic are going to break down at some point just because of how hard they work. Smodic on Saturday, he stayed on. And I just think we're 2-0 down, just give him a rest. But he's there till the started, bitter end. And I think he's started every championship game, hasn't he? He has. And do you know what? It's testament to the professional that he is he's in peak shape and and all of those things i absolutely love it and it's great to see yeah Yeah. but i just think it's asking a lot of of everyone i don't care how good of a pro you are it's it's a tough ask on the body and yeah you know i I do worry about that that side of things but i think yeah i'm rambling a little bit but the huddersfield game i think with the right changes the right freshening up the right energy into the squad Dom Hyam might be back, for example. You know, these types of things. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see when he throws Hyam in because he was very clear that he was shouldn't really be... He was taking in more for morale than for anything else or if they needed mm. someone to head some balls away for five minutes. So he's not ready. Um, I think I don't think he'll start against Watford. Could he start at Huddersfield or Hull? Maybe. I One of those away games would make sense. I he'll think play, He'll probably play an internal game this week or a 21s game, I'd imagine. 
the tiredness, um, you know, it's mental tiredness. You know, we we speak a lot about the the physical tiredness, and there's no doubt there's there's that fatigue there, of course, with the amount of minutes that they're playing and, and all of that at the moment. But the mental tiredness that comes as well, when you've got a good leader in the side, you can help mitigate that mental fatigue that you have as well. So, I'd be bringing High and back for either Huddersfield away or Hull away. Because I think both of those games, the crowd are going to be up for it. Particularly Boxing Day, it's going to be a buzzing atmosphere at Huddersfield. And I think Hull, uh, the ticket prices are really cheap and, and all of those things as well. I think they're going to have a good crowd and they're playing well this season as well. So it's going to be two tough places to go with the crowd on their side over the Christmas period. So someone like Hyam coming in just stabilises things a little bit. So I'd be bringing him back, maybe give him as long as possible and get him back for Hull. I think that would be a good one to bring him back for. Yeah, I would agree with that. Predictions, what you're going for for, for the two games coming up? Uh, I think it'll be... Oh, Watford. I mean, that is... I think it's a tougher game than people are making out. I, I don't know why. I'm just a bit pessimistic about it. I think they'll draw. Rovers... I think they'll draw against Watford and beat Huddersfield. Mm. Um... I'm going to beat you to it. I'm going to go one all, one all for the Watford game. And I think a 2-0 win at Huddersfield. I I really don't want to predict us to lose to Watford, but I can see it. I can see us coming we're the wrong team, side. We're a better team than people. They've gone under the radar a little bit over the last few months because they started so poorly. But 21 points in 11 games is not to be sniffed at. That's mm. automatic promotion form. I'm going to stop being a Scrooge, right? It's the fans' takeover. Christmas spirit is going to win the day, not Ryan Hildred not being a Christmas Christmassy, is it, Ryan? Come on. No, it's not. So... The fans' takeover is going to see Rovers win the day 2-1. Come on. Christmas spirit's going to... All those fans in there, the people that don't usually get to go. That was the only bit missing from that. (laughs) (laughs) Can I just have it on record that I think this will be a tough game? But I think Christmas spirit is going to win. What we're doing is Ryan thinks Blackburn are going to lose, but hasn't got the bottle to predict them to lose. And because it's Christmas, he's going to say they'll win instead. That it, that is a very fair assessment. It's like anything that Steven Spielberg would write over Christmas. It's you know we'll be one 0 down going into the final ten minutes, and then Christmas takes over and Rovers win the game two one. There we go, two one Rovers. <laughs> uh, right, no, you're talking me into it now because you goaded me. I think Rovers are going to lose one nil, and then I think we will get the job done at Huddersfield two one. That's what I'm going for. You got whiplash. I have, yeah. I, I've got it. I've, I think it is. I've, I think we're going to lose it. I do. I'm getting too emotional and romantic about Christmas. I need to employ rational brain. 1-0 Watford, 2-1 Rovers against Huddersfield. Right, okay. So the Scrooge has spoken. Three points for Rovers over Christmas. <laughs> I, uh, I, think, I think they'll get four points, so I'm far more optimistic. Uh, that rounds off this week's episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. Make sure you subscribe to Arte Labore in your podcast app of choice. Make sure you follow the Lancashire Telegraph at Blackburn Rovers and make sure you check out the site for the most comprehensive coverage this season. Of course, we'll be at all the games keeping you up to date over Christmas while you tuck into your leftover turkey. Um, You can subscribe to support the Lancashire Telegraph and local journalism. You'll get a better reading experience with fewer ads on our subscriber-only app and there'll be plenty more exclusive content and perks as well. The current offer is £4 for four months or £44 for an annual subscription, which is about a 15% discount. So go and check that out if you fancy gifting that to a loved one for Christmas or yourself so you're getting every bit of coverage on Blackburn Rovers. Have a great Christmas uh, and we'll speak to you again very soon.